Take your Bibles and turn to our passage today, which is in Luke's Gospel. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Kids, Advent means coming, and it's a season in the church where we sort of uh, anticipate the, the coming of Christ and celebrate His birth. Jesus probably wasn't born around in December, but you know that's the time of the year that we celebrate that. And so let's uh, look at the, the account of the first Christmas, at least a part of that, at Mary's uh, song of praise in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 56. Give attention now to God's word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Uh, amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have your word to return to over and over and over. And even those old familiar stories, those accounts of things that happened so long ago, that God, we could once again look at them and be uh, reminded of who you are and what you have done for us. Uh, this morning, O oh Lord, I pray that as we uh, hear this account of Mary and her song of worship, um, God, that you would uh, open our hearts to receive your word by faith. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, lest anybody be distracted, I want to go ahead and just tell you that there's a mistake, a typo in the sermon title. I don't want anybody to come focus on that during the sermon and not be able to hear the sermon. Uh, the, the title of the sermon is The Spirit of Christmas, but that word spirit should be lowercase s for spirit of Christmas, okay? But I'm just so used to capitalizing all the words, I didn't think about the ramifications of that when I first typed it up. Because I want us to think about the spirit of Christmas, because this is sort of that time of the year where people will talk about the spirit of Christmas or the Christmas spirit. You know, you need to have more Christmas spirit or you're a Scrooge. You don't have the Christmas spirit, whatever it might be. But, you know, it, it made me think as I thought about that, what exactly do people mean by the spirit of Christmas? Well, there, I guess there could be a lot of answers. If you're Scrooge, then the spirit of Christmas would be the ghost that showed up, right? The ghost past, present, and future. But for most of us, that's not the case. I think for some, the spirit would, uh, of Christmas would be the spirit of giving, especially to those people who are less fortunate. If you read the, the greeting card companies, it, it's a sentiment of well-being. You know, we hope that 
you know, you're well this holiday season or, you know, whatever they might write in their, their Christmas cards. I think for, for some people, though, it is the happiness that's found in being with family and friends and, and people that they love. As a matter of fact, for, for many people, Christmas is no longer about Christ. It's really more about family. It's about being with those that you love. But there's also, unfortunately, on the other side of that, people who see Christmas, uh, the spirit of Christmas, as a time of profound sadness. It's, it's a time of depression and, and of great loss. See, we have sound effects to show how, how awful it can be. And, and oftentimes that's because it's, it's really no laughing matter or joking matter. I don't mean to make light of that, but it's usually people who have gone through great difficulty, maybe lost a loved one or maybe has a strained child that has gone down the wrong path, whatever it may be, and there's great grief in their heart. And not only is it, is it hard during that time of the Christmas season, but especially with all the celebration within the backdrop of, of the, the, the happiness and all the, the songs, it just seems to deepen the sadness even more uh, for such people. Uh, I think for most people, though, I guess the spirit of Christmas is about giving presents. At least that's what you would think as you looked at all the Black Friday sales and, and all the shopping and how everybody's saying order things early because the traffic will be so heavy, the demands will be so great. And so oftentimes we might think that is the spirit of Christmas. But is that what Christmas is all about? Well, you know from the way I asked the question that the answer to that is no. But what is the spirit of, of, of true, of the true spirit of Christmas? Well, of course, the best place to look to see what that might be would be the scriptures, to go to God's word and, and see what he says. And, and particularly that first Christmas morning, that first morning uh, in which you know, Christ was born. And so I want to do that this morning. And before we even get to our text, sort of as a background uh, to what we're going to be looking at in Luke 1.46, I want us to look at Luke 1 and 2, and a story that's very familiar to characters that you have heard about your whole life and you're familiar with. Uh, let's look at those, uh, some of those selected passages this morning. First of all, in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, and Elizabeth, this is Mary's cousin, Okay, and she says, uh, as, she, as Mary comes to visit her, uh, we read in Luke 141, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so there was a, there was a sense of, of uh, praise. There was a sense of awe on that first Christ, Christmas morning uh, from Elizabeth. But what about from her husband, who was John the Baptist's father? Remember Zechariah, he was serving in the temple, and the angel appeared to him and said, I know you're old and your wife is old, but your wife's going to have a kid. And he didn't believe the angel. And so he was made kids to where he couldn't talk anymore. He had to just make gestures with his hands in order to communicate. Well, uh, eventually Elizabeth did conceive and she did give birth. And when the baby was born, everybody was saying, what should we name him? And of course, you're supposed to name him after someone in the family. And so they were asking Zechariah, should we name him after you or someone else? And, and Zechariah wrote, no, call him John, which is what the angel said he should be called. And at that moment, he could speak 
And what were the words that he spoke? Well, look down at verse 67 of chapter 1. And it said, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Here again, once again, we see a sense of praise. And then down in chapter 2, verse 13, where the angels come and uh, proclaim to the shepherds the good news of Christ's coming. We read in Luke 2, 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then down at verse 20 of Luke 2, where the shepherds, after hearing the angels go, and they find baby Jesus, and they see that it was true. And, and we read this in verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then even further down in uh, chapter or verse 25, uh, we, we meet a man whose name is Simeon, and, and he was a righteous and a devout man, and he had been told by God that he would not depart this earth until he had seen the promised Messiah. And we read in verse 29, his response is, is Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus into the temple to be circumcised. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And of course there with him in that temple was, was Anna um, who was 84 years old. She had been married just for a couple of years and then was widowed and had spent her time in prayer and in the temple. And we read in verse 8. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so what I want you to see here, I just read these various passages because I want you to see that the spirit of Christmas and all those participants of that first Christmas was a spirit of praise, a spirit of uh, thanksgiving, of blessing and glory to God. I guess if you want to sum it up in a word, it was worship. The spirit of Christmas was that of worship. And we also see this, uh, let me read from Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. When the Magi uh, came to King Herod, this is what they said. They asked him, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then if you skip down to verse 11 in chapter 2, uh, it says, and going into the house they, that is the Magi, saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. The spirit of the, that first Christmas was obviously one of worship. It was one of praise. It was one of giving glory to God. And that is the supreme attitude that is to dominate Christmas and the coming, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come to our text today, I say all of that just to come to Luke chapter 1 verse 46 where we see Mary, and what's she doing? She is worshiping God. Look at verse 46. And my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She is a, a worshiper. And I want us this morning to look at Mary's worship of God. And I want us to consider it in light of even our own worship this morning. And I want us to see three things about worship. First of all, the attitude of worship that Mary had. 
the attitude of worship. Um, and under that, the attitude of worship, I want us to see, first of all, that worship begins internally. Okay, look at verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The, these words that, that Luke records here are to refer to the inner person. Okay, the inner man. It's not something, worship isn't something that begins on the outside. It does eventually express itself on the outside. But worship is, is something that's internal. It's, it's not something, it's not using the right words and going through the right motions. But worship is of the mind. It is of the will. It is of our emotions. It's sort of like a, a great orchestra. If you've ever heard an orchestra play, and it sort of builds to this crescendo as the different instruments have their different parts, every element of the inner man of a person has its place. And as every element of the inner man adds to the harmony of the whole, there's sort of this crescendo of worship that, that takes place. You see, worship is sort of something that starts from the inside and sort of bubbles up and boils over onto the outside. If you've ever taken a hose, kids, and you, you filled up a bucket, right, and you just kept going, your mom dad said, fill it up, and so you just keep going, and it gets to the top, and instead of turning it off, you just keep it going, and what's it do? It just keeps running over and running over and running over. And that's the idea of a heart that is prepared to come and to worship the Lord. It's not about coming to church on Sunday morning and singing a hymn or reading some words in the Bible or even listening to a sermon. It's not about coming and giving an offering or coming to the Lord's table or even coming and being baptized. You know, as a matter of fact, the Bible sort of warns us about just going through the motions of external actions. External shallow observance of worship is actually a distasteful thing to the Lord. Isaiah records that in Isaiah 29 verse 13. Isaiah 29, 13, it says, And the Lord said, This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. There can be a sense of just going through the external motions. Now, it's interesting, I think, as you read that, here are God's people, and if you looked at them, if you and I looked at them, we would say, these are people who love the Lord. They are, they are worshiping Him with their mouth. They are honoring Him with their lips. That looks like a great thing, but God says... But their hearts are far from me. There was no heart. There was no, uh, there was, their inner man was not involved in that worship. Now, in our external worship, there's potential for worship. Uh, but worship, but the worshiping heart entails so much more. It's a heart of adoration, of praise, a soul and a spirit that is overwhelmed by God. Jesus said, God is a spirit, and that they who worship him must what? Worship him in spirit and in truth. The true worshiper is the one whose heart is devoted and overflowing. It rises from what the heart comprehends. Now, now think about this just for a moment, okay? Worship rises from a mind who understands who God is. Oftentimes as Presbyterians, I think we're sort of criticized in our worship because we can focus upon the mind but honestly brothers and sisters that's where it starts we have to comprehend who God is and, and and as the mind understands who God is then it begins to inform the will and the emotions of the person until every part of that inner man is moving and it just erupts in worship 
And as, as, as the truth of who God is does affect our inner person, it does erupt. And that sort of brings us to the second part of the point of, of the attitude of worship is that worship's not only internal, but it, it's also intense. Okay? Mary had come to grips with what was going on in her mind. She had heard what the angel Gabriel had said. She had taken that to, to heart in her mind and it had informed her emotions and her will. And her response was explosive. It, it wasn't just internal, but it was intense. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now that word magnified is the word uh, megalune, okay? And, and we understand the word mega, right? Mega means something bigger than normal. You know, if you have a speaker that has mega boot, uh, bass, then that speaker has more bass than you really need. You just like boom, 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 boom. You just feel it in your whole body, right? Uh, well, Mary not only exalts the Lord, but she mega exalts him. She lifts him up in a, in a bigger way than normal. Uh, megaluni means to cause to swell, uh, to, to cause to grow or to crescendo, as if you're sort of starting at some point and it begins to extend and it becomes larger and larger and larger and larger. And so worship is that sense, that internal sense of, of uh, us understanding who God is, contemplating who He is, and then it begins to boil up and, and to overflow. Now, why is that so important for us uh, in the church today? Well, many in the American church have come to think of worship as an experience. Uh, that you come to church, and we think of the church as uh, should provide us with a worship experience. The, the, the things the worship leader does, the, the way that the musicians play, the way the preacher preaches, everything is to stir us. Everything is to affect us in some way so that we might experience that intense expression of worship. And so what people do is they will go to a church, and if after a while the worship no longer stirs them, if that external stimulus no longer gets their heart pumping and they feel that sense, that emotion, then they oftentimes go and they look for another church. Now, we as Reformed folks, we take pride in the sense that we don't focus on that, right? But sometimes we can fall in the opposite ditch. There could be no emotion that can be involved. And we simply go through the motions and, and sometimes there's little effect upon us because we're not really understanding that we must prepare the inner man. And if you look at the Puritans, you know, some want to criticize the Puritans as only uh, pointing to the head, but all you have to do is read the Puritans just a little bit, and you'll see that actually they were quite different. Yes, they did aim to the head, but the head informed the will and the heart, and their worship overflowed and boiled over into their lives. They did exactly what the scripture says. And so worship begins with contemplating uh, some great spiritual reality of who God is or, or what he has done. And one of the things you're going to see that you see in this text that we're not going to take the time to walk you through each verse. But a lot of what Mary is sharing comes from scripture. Uh, there are quotes from different passages in the Old Testament. And so she was, her mind was filled with the word of God and she was contemplating that and contemplating what, what the angel had said. And as she contemplated that reality, it welled up within her and overflowed. 
And so the reality is this, that we need to be careful that as we come to church, we don't come to church to somehow get pumped up, you know, uh, that you're expecting me to do something or the music or something to do something that will create some kind of experience for you. But worship starts long before church on Sunday morning. It is that, that constant praise as you spend time with God and His Word during the week. We post our worship bulletin on the web on Wednesday or Thursday of each week so that you can read the scriptures and you can look over the words to the psalms. We even have links to the words of the psalm so you can meditate upon those and prepare your heart. And if you do that, you will see that your worship will increase. You'll find my preaching gets much better if you come with a heart that is prepared. I say that because I've been in churches where I thought, man, this preacher needs to get better. And someone challenged me, is your heart prepared to receive what he had to say? And I remember being very intentional about preparing my heart to come for worship. And the preacher got way better. And I, as you know, nothing changed in the preacher. But anyway, so it doesn't matter where what our circumstances are in our lives. They fluctuate. They come and go. They ebb and flow. Our joy may come and go. But that's only because oftentimes we attach ourselves to another priority than the unchanging presence and work of God, which means that our focus is no longer upon Him, but upon our circumstances. But God gives us the freedom to so focus upon Him that we don't, uh, that our circumstances don't affect us. And so worship is internal, it's, it's intense, and I don't mean intense in the sense it has to be loud. Worship can be loud, we see that in Scripture, but worship can also be quiet, but I mean intense just in the sense that it's consistent with the character of God. It's appropriate to the character of God. But also we see that worship is humble. True worship only comes from a humble heart. Now, now what is a humble heart? A humble heart is a heart that has no thought for itself. It's not thinking about me. Of course, the opposite of humility is what? Pride, right? And pride is the worship of self. And it competes with the worship of God because it focuses upon me. My pride gets me upset when I don't get what I want, right? My pride remembers all the wrong that you do to me and keeps track of that. My pride wants to strike back whenever it's offended. Pride, therefore, is not filled with praise because it's fixed on the ebbs and flows of my life. It's fixed upon me. And so sometimes our, our worship can be dull because our pride is great. But humility doesn't, doesn't care about these kind of things. Humility is being so focused on God that what may or may not be yours is of little consequence. Humility is you do not focus on you. You are not the issue. And, and if you would, this afternoon, I would encourage you. This just struck me as I read this passage. Read over this again, its entirety, a number of times. And as I did that this week in preparation for the sermon, it just stood out to me in a huge way how little this song was about Mary and about her circumstances. And it was all about God. Her focus was so fixed upon the Lord. And I thought, how different from the culture in which we live, where oftentimes just about everything we think about is in relation to us. Um, 
Look at uh, verse 48. Mary says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. The thing that strikes Mary about this whole ordeal that is just incomprehensible that God would have had such regard for her as a common girl. How, how, why would God choose me to do this? And she was just so overwhelmed by that. She doesn't say anything about herself, really nothing. Although she could have. She could have. I mean, here she's probably 13, 14 years old, a young teenage girl in a culture where people who committed adultery got stoned to death. And, and she is betrothed, she's engaged, but she's not yet married, and yet she is expecting and, and uh, should not ex escape us of this fact. So she had much on her mind. She could have very easily been consumed with her circumstances and her problems. But that's not where her mind went. Instead, she focused on what God was doing. And so she had plenty to be concerned about. And yet her mind was focused on the Lord and His wondrous work. My soul will magnify the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in my God, for he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. Now, if, if Mary does glance at herself, it's just for a brief moment. And it, and it is only to wonder how she could ever be noticed by God. So it's not that her life was focused around herself. You, you see, that's what's characteristic of humility, that there's no thought for ourselves it's, and it's surprised at any com uh, commendation that is there and that's the case with a godly person is it not a person who is walking with the Lord a person who is godly a person who is righteous they don't see themselves that way if you'd say wow you're such a godly person they say oh no I'm not because you see they actually see uh, and look for in each every nook and cranny of their life the iniquity and the sin in their hearts. And they find it. And they recognize that they really are nothing. It is only because of God's goodness to them. And so there's a certain brokenness. There's a certain humility in a person who's truly godly. Um, and, and it is that kind of humility that is the, at the heart of worship. A sense of unworthiness. A sense of sinfulness. A, a lack of qualifications for anything. For any blessing for any goodness, for any gift from God. Uh, when it comes, such a person is just overwhelmed that God would show such goodness to them. How unlike us though, right? Do we not get upset when God doesn't give us what we want? Lord, why would you bring these circumstances into our lives? Lord, why are you doing this? Or Lord, why are you not doing this? And yet Mary attitude was one of worship a deep heartfelt inner spring of intense gratitude and joy that bursts forth from a humble soul who knows her utter unworthiness that brothers and sisters is the spirit of christmas the second thing we see is the object of worship and and i just i really want to go through this point very quickly really by just reading through the text look at verse 46 and mary said my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the profound in the thought of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Obviously, God alone is the one to be worshipped. All glory goes to him. All honor goes to him. And so worship is very one-dimensional in one sense. It is to worship God. I mean, that's what Jesus said in Luke 4, 8. He's quoting the Old Testament. And it says, And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. First uh, Timothy 1.17, Paul says to Timothy, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So obviously... The object of our worship is to be God and to see Him in the completeness of, of who He is as He is revealed to us in, in His Word. That's enough, brothers and sisters, to keep the saints worshiping Him for all eternity with no end. And then third and finally, the cause of worship. What causes us to worship? What makes it happen? What, what motivates us to worship? Well, first of all, what God does for me personally. Now, I don't mean that to be as self-centered as what it might sound, as much as to understand that God does work in the lives of His people. And, and as we recognize the work that He does in our lives, it causes us to praise Him. Look, look at verse 49. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Even as Mary thinks about the things that God is doing in her life, her focus is still upon the Lord and, and who he is. Mary acknowledges the unique things that God is doing in her life, but he, you know, he is giving her, who's a virgin, a baby in her tummy, kids, right? who is, uh, will grow up to be the Messiah, the Anointed One, Israel's believer, and he will be a mighty man. Look back, if you would, at verse 31. As Gabriel is, is uh, talking with Mary and sharing what's going to happen to her, this is what he said. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Now, I don't doubt that Mary probably, I'm guessing she did not understand all the nuances of what Gabriel was saying. Maybe the Messiah reigning on David's throne, him being the Savior, the Deliverer, those kind of things she might have thought about in an earthly way, but to think about him being the Son of the Most High and things like that, she most likely did not grasp. But she did grasp that a holy God would use her to do this mighty thing, even when she was un so undeserving. And, and so she worshipped God because the promised Messiah would come. Now, Mary contemplated these words in her heart. You have to remember, from the time that Gabriel gave the message to her, to her song here in verse 46, 
It's just a few verses apart, so we can think that they happened just like this. But Mary received those words from Gabriel in Nazareth, which is north of the area of Judea and the hill country where Elizabeth lived, probably over 100 miles away. We don't know exactly where Elizabeth lived, but I'm guessing it's 100 plus miles away. And so she received this message from Gabriel, had to travel all that distance to come and to see her cousin. So it was at least a couple of days, if not a couple of weeks. And so she had time to, to think about what the words that he had said. And, and because of that, she was giving thanks that the Redeemer would come and she would praise him. And that's where worship starts, that an absolute holy God would do something for us who are sinners. And we live in a time and a day where we understand more fully what, what Gabriel was talking about and how Jesus wouldn't just come as an earthly ruler to somehow save the nation of Israel, but he would come to save his people. And his people covers all the world, not only Jews, but Gentiles as well. And not just to save them from earthly enemies, but even from their own sin and from eternal damnation and punishment. And so when Mary worships God as Savior and Lord, we understand that in a more complete way. Brothers and sisters, our worship must be much greater than what Mary's worship was because we understand. But she was worshiping God not just because of what he does for her, but also what he does for others. If you look at verses 50 through 55, Mary praises God for this larger plan of salvation, of redemption that, that he's carrying out in history for his people. And you see that in verses 50 through 55, his strong arm that is given on behalf of his people. But I want you to notice specifically verses 50 and 54. Okay, verse 50, which is like a, a quote from Psalm 103, it says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is bigger than just her. And then look down at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In other words, she's talking about how God has been redeeming his people since the beginning. And he has carried that through. And, and she's praising God, not only for what he's doing in her life, but what he is going to do in the life of his people. Even going all the way back to Genesis, uh, to the time of Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham that he would now fulfill. And she says here, in remembrance of his mercy. In other words, God's covenant promise. His covenant of grace that we see in Genesis 12. Genesis 15, Genesis 15 is being, 17, excuse me, is being fulfilled right before Mary's eyes in the sending of the Messiah into the world. And so she praises God for the fulfillment of this promise. Now, it's, it's noteworthy, although we're not going to take time to look at all everything that's, that's said in verses 51 uh, through 55, but all of those verbs that's interesting are in the aorist, which is the past tense to de describe what God does for his own. And, and it's only because the mighty God has done mighty things that there can be good news for us to tell. Kids, you might wonder, why do I have to study about how the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and how God delivered them? What does that have to do with my life? Let me tell you what that has to do with your life. If God had not <laughs> provided for his people in the past, 
that we would have no confidence that he can provide for us in the present, nor that he will provide for us in the future. But because God has done these things for his people in the past and has always proved faithful, then we can be confident that he will be faithful in the present in terms of his promises and definitely faithful in terms of the future as well. Brothers and sisters, what God is doing in our text is much bigger than Mary and her life. God is faithful in his plan of redemption right before Mary's eyes. But I would suggest to you that God is being faithful to his plan of redemption before our eyes as well. As we are watching the nations even more so uh, ingathered into the kingdom of God. You know, even world missions for our denomination has taken on a new slant. It used to be we would send missionaries out to other nations. And we still do that as a denomination, as other churches do as well. But the nations are now coming to the United States. More and more people groups are coming here. So MTW, MNA, you know, have uh, had to work together more. MTW dealt with foreign missions. MNA dealt with church planting and sort of local missions here in the United States. And they have to work together because entire people groups, refugees from Afghanistan, are pouring into the United States and they're and making communities. And so our church is sending missionaries, even within the own borders of our country, to what appears like a foreign nation to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a glorious time that we live in to see the kingdom of God and the way that it's being built up. And yet sometimes... Can we not become so focused upon our own lives and our own selves that we miss what God is doing in the world? But this Christmas season, I want to encourage us to maintain the spirit of Christmas in 2021. I know it's been a hard year still following after, up after the pandemic and all of the consequences that, that have, have come as a result of the, the pandemic and, and other circumstances in our lives. And it would be so easy to be discouraged. But let us maintain the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of worship. This Christmas season, as we sing the carols, let us carefully listen to the words that we may worship. Over the next month, we're going to sing uh, primarily, well, we'll sing probably exclusively Christmas carols. And, and I want you to listen to the words. So many of these Christmas carols are focusing upon who God is. And I encourage you to contemplate, to meditate, to reflect upon the words of these songs. As we read the scriptures, that you meditate and reflect. Prepare your inner man. Inform, feed your mind, that it might inform your will and your emotions as we come, that it might boil up to worship him. Let me just read uh, from a few Christmas carols. Uh, first of all, uh, William Dix, who died in 1898, he wrote the words to that great song, What Child Is This? And if you remember, the words that end in that Christmas carol, it says, So bring him incense, gold, myrrh, come peasant, king own, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. That's worship. That's worship. It's calling us to worship. Or Charles Wesley, who's wrote over 6,000 hymns, one of which was Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which was played in the prelude today. And the last verse of that says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Worship! Worship! Light and life to all He brings. 
risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. In other words, that's speaking of the incarnation where Christ laid aside his glory to come as a man and worshiped him. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark! The herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. That's worship, brothers and sisters. And let us worship him this Christmas season. Let us have the Christmas spirit of worship as we come to the end of this year and we begin a new year. Please bow with me this morning, if you would, to, to prayerfully consider these words that were spoken this morning. Father, we thank you for this marvelous reminder of the focus of life, which is worship. May it come from deep within us, Lord, directed towards you, our saving God, for what you have done for us, what you have done for, for generation after generation of saved sinners, and the way in which you have kept every promise to your people. Lord, we rejoice. And our rejoicing finds its focus in this great historic moment when you came into the world as a baby. We thank you. We praise you. We offer our hearts of worship in your son, Jesus Christ. And pray, Lord, that you might stir within us, Lord, as we contemplate upon you on your goodness, upon your word that you have given to us to see you for who you are. May our hearts be stirred to worship you. We thank you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen.